John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 907.mt0627, certificate number 33392, Patagonian Giants. You're just stalling now. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? You've beaten my giant, which means you're exceptionally strong, so you could have put the poison in your own goblet, trusting on your strength to save you, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you've also bested my Spaniard, which means you must have studied. And in studying, you must have learned that man is mortal, so you would have put the poison as far from yourself as possible, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. How tall are you, for the record? Well, I was, at my tallest, six foot three. The last couple of times I went to the doctor, they are telling me that I'm six foot two and a half. They don't have English units in the future, John. How many centimeters tall are you? Oh, uh, 1,000. <laughs> you are, you are 1,000 centimeters tall. It's about 30 feet, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm having the same thing. I felt like I was kind of plausibly 5'11 for a while. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, if you round up, I was like 5'10 and a half. And now I'm pretty much 5'10. We're, gravity does a number on us all, I guess. It's really infuriating. I, I argued with the doctor uh, and said, that's impossible that I'm six, two and a half. And there are some things you can argue with a doctor about, yeah. like diagnoses and, and treatment plans, but height, maybe not one of them. Well, that's the thing. I was like, you've got a, there's a hole in your floor or <laughs> you did, you have not calibrated this properly. And they just, they blew me right off. Uh, the, what are your experiences with very tall people? I mean, you've, you've recently said on the show that you're planning to go to Japan, but you feel like your tallness We'll get you in trouble. But I was in a, you know, my bandmate was 6'5". Um, Who's 6'5"? Sean, Sean Nelson. Oh, right. Are you counting the, the tall hair? No, the tall hair makes him 6'7". Sean, uh, Sean is a very tall man. I know a lot of tall people, um, taller than me. I'm always, I'm always a little bit uh, unsettled by people taller than me because there are relatively few people taller than me. doesn't so. seem fair. Well, when they get around me, it's Who not do they the, think they are? Well, I just notice it. I notice that they're somebody like... I, it, it feels like they're in my space, even if they're standing 10 That's feet That's because you have tall privilege. That's right. Most people are used to a variety of heads, some higher, some lower than theirs, but you don't have to deal with it much at 6'3". If I go to a rock concert and there's someone anywhere in the room taller than me, I will, first of all, stand behind them uh, just automatically, and they, and they will infuriate me. They'll enrage me. I want all tall people to stand... At the very back of a room. Sean doesn't strike me. He's pretty diffident. He's not one of these kind of embarrassed, hunched over tall people. 
Uh, I mean, he hunches, I think, like most of us learn to do just to just to just try and make yourself slightly smaller. You, you think that's almost uh, almost universal among it's the talls? Really rare that you be six four and stand erect unless you are a military veteran or a sports person. My college roommate was six eight. Wow. Uh, pushing six nine at the time, although I think you know he's shrunk in an inch or so. Right. And he was definitely one of these. Well, first of all, he's everybody's friend because. I mean, he was a he was a fun, funny guy, but he's also six eight for crying right. out Everybody loud. Everybody wants a six eight friend. When that guy comes into the room, was he an athlete? Uh, I mean, he played basketball. You should ask him. Uh, he loves when people just see him and then ask if he plays basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen numbers on this? How if if you're six eight, there is a point zero seven percent chance in America that you will play professional basketball. Really, one in every one hundred forty three six eight or higher will play basketball. But if by the time you get up to seven foot, it's like fully seventeen percent. Because you have a one in you're, a not, one. you're not given another option by by grown ups, by, right? By the co- well, I mean you're actively recruited. Right. Like you can't in a, in a high school hallway. You know, three people are going to tell you every day you should be on the team if you're not on the team, and the coach is going to really be lobbying. Um, but he was always kind of a one of these very like you know keep your head down and hope I look six six and a half uh-huh. kind of guys which I, somebody should tell him it's it's not going to happen. He's actually the friend I tried out for uh, Jeopardy with. We both passed the test. He may have. He, I think he feels he was too tall for the show. Yeah, that's right. They were like, "Have you considered playing basketball?" Kareem has been on Jeopardy, but uh, typically they try to make everybody be the same height. They want the pan across the, the three contestants at the end to not go. So did they make him stand in a hole or did they put them uh, the other contestants on boxes? I think boxes? on celebrity, usually they put the others on boxes. Today, they um, originally they had trap doors that they could lower people, but people kept falling down. Right. You don't want to play a game show in a hole. No. Um, Break your ankle. They put everybody else on boxes, but now like the nice the nice short lady can fall off her box. So it's... It's it's a tough situation. Don't fall off your box, nice short lady. Really, everybody should be the same height, and then America would be better. Yeah, you know what? And that's why I'm voting for Bernie. <laughs> He's gonna make us. He's gonna make everyone the same height. <laughs> I uh, I had a, a back problems a couple of years ago, which I'd avoided most of my life. And as a tall person, you kind of you anticipate back problems. Mm-hmm. But when I had uh, when I had this problem, a, a, a chiropractor said to me. Um, here's how I want you to stand, right? And gave me some posture stuff. And in standing erect, shoulders back for the first time, really, I I, I actually like protested. I said, you cannot possibly ask me to stand like this. Not- how, how did you articulate your, your, your disagreement? Well, I just felt did, like- It wasn't physically possible to do that all day? No, not that. That, that walking into a room of man my size, shoulders back, head up, is uh, an act of, at least in in Seattle, like an act of real defiance. Like you, alpha, you're really alphaing. Uh, you're six three, John. Crying out loud! <laughs> but Stop, like, you're, you're not Andre the Giant. But you know, to stand, I had never, I had never stood up like that mm-hmm. because I I felt culturally always that I needed to make myself smaller, and um, and standing up like that and walking around with your with your head held high, it had an immediate effect on my uh, creative output. Well, my mood, right? I, I felt um, I felt immediately better. I felt invigorated. I got more air into my lungs. Um, 
I believe in all that feedback stuff. It was really if you pretend really to be. Intense. In, I still do it. If you walk like you're in a good mood, you will gradually get into a good mood. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's a cure for chronic depression, but often that kind of stuff does work. I was impressed. Have you ever had an ex- experience with a ver- seeing a very tall person? Yes. In the wild. Yes. And what, what what's it like? Did you take a picture? No, but um, but really tall people are very impressive. It's funny because in movies, you don't get it. You know, they'll hire some enormously tall man to play Chewbacca or something. And on the movie, it'll just read like, yeah, I guess, I, yeah I guess now that I look at it, he is taller than Han. He's about a head taller than Han Solo. Whereas in, because you're not, you don't have a sense of how you're higher or lower th- than them. But when you're in person and you see someone at an unexpected elevation, it is like a special effect. It really is. And, and yeah, especially if they're proportional, which they mostly are. I mean, you know, you see like real ectomorphs that are super tall, but, but very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, That's creepy slender man thing which, they got going. Which is, it seems like it's kind of, uh, it's a different experience. But when you see someone that's, that's proportionally sized and seven feet tall. It's almost like the scale is wrong. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're doing the magic eye thing and they are much closer to you than they should be or something. It's exciting. I mean, it's just, just as exciting as seeing someone who is, who's really small. I mean, it makes, it must make faces light up, but if you're that person, you do not want to make faces light up with your stature. It's again, a thing where everyone I think hopes to go through their normal day, at least not being singled out. I once watched, I, I was at the airport picking up my my six eight college roommate friend, and he walked off the plane right after Denver Nuggets forward Alex English, and they were roughly the same height. And, you know, I, I guess I expected my friend Earl to look this tall, but, you know, walking out next to Alex English, I was like, oh, this is like a whole new race of people (laughs) all right have you ever been in an airport when a basketball team lands and they all get (laughs) off and you've got you know 25 of these guys i hope this happens to me someday i hope to have that joy last summer i was walking in uh midtown manhattan we were mindy and i were on i don't know 46th street on our way to see something at some theater i mean you don't want to be in times square of an evening or maybe possibly ever unless you love bubba gum shrimp uh but so we're walking down this packed sidewalk and Coming at us, just like an apparition in the sea of heads, is another head just, you know, a foot or two higher than the other heads. And it really is like you don't understand what you're seeing. It's floating on a different plane. Right. You're, you're wondering what kind of uh, apparatus or, or mechanism is involved. Is it a person sitting on a person? <laughs> it, it, that's kind of what you're thinking. You're like, well, why is the ground different for him? You don't immediately think that man is seven four, which you'd think would be Occam's razor. Right. You're just so unaccustomed to seeing a seven foot six gentleman walking down Forty Sixth Street, and as he, and I was kind of, you know, as somebody who occasionally gets a little double take, and then a guy whispering to his wife in public, I, you know, I, I try not to do it to others. Yeah. Uh, it's really the only way to generate empathy is to. I mean, you used to get exactly a little double take and people whispering, but now everywhere you go, people throw confetti at you and say, it's America's sweetheart, Ken Jennings. They used to just do it because of my odd affect and odor. Right. But now they remember me from a quiz show. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't confetti before it was deodorant. <laughs> uh, and so I'm not, I'm purposely not, you know, making eye contact with this guy or elbowing my wife. And once he passed, two things happened. First, I he realized. He turned around and said, are you Ken Jennings? <laughs> I wish. No, the first thing that happened is that I think Mindy had not seen him. And I said, how could you not see him? This guy is seven five, seven six, and he just walked by. And she had just, you know, 
been looking at normal level and had missed the oh, one person. Interesting. The second thing I realized is that it was, although he was older and puffier, it was almost certainly 76er center Sean Bradley from the 90s. Space Jam co-star Sean Bradley. Mm. This large, gawky, uh, Mormon marionette. So he was a celebrity a as NBA well. Career. I think so. I'm, I, there's just a, so few, seven, five, seven, six people you might see walking around Midtown and once he left, I realized, oh, I just saw the 30 for 30 where he's older, and I think that was him. So, And you always choose to believe you saw the celebrity. Of course. You're never like, man, that must have been somebody who looked just like Amy Adams. That's no fun. <laughs> but when you see someone very tall like that, it is nothing like you you would expect from an illustration or a, you know, even looking at the um, Guinness Book of World records entry on Robert Wadlow, you know, that 811 sure. gentleman from the Midwest or wherever he was from, Ohio, probably. With the glasses. You know, the guy with the glasses. We can all picture him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing to be like, wow, eight foot, that's very tall. But then you see his shoes and they're the size of a rowboat. Yes. You know, the just putting the scale in person is impressive. We, The range of human heights is not big enough that we, uh, it's, it's narrow enough that we get very impressed by these comparatively small variations of a foot or two. Well, and I think that that's, uh, the average human is within a pretty narrow range, you know, five to six feet. And, um, not and, that other heights are bad. No, no, of course not. But people that are much smaller than five feet, you kind of think of it as a, um, it, it seems it's more understandable that some, that a human being would not grow to sure. large size. After all, we were all once that size. Right. More understandable than that a human would continue to grow so much. And I think, and I think extremely tall people are much rarer, at least in, if to be, uh, if you gauge by how often you run Mm -hmm. into them on the street, than people that are smaller than four feet. And sadly they become rare as life goes on because often it brings with it its own health problems. Their hearts can't sustain it. Yeah. There are physiological and gravitational reasons why, you know, the human frame does not hold up seven or eight or nine feet as well. Right. Um, but as we've pointed out recently on the show, these kinds of things are cultural and can change. Uh, you know, compared to a hundred years ago, the average Iranian man is six inches taller than he was just because- Isn't that astonishing? He's no longer struggling with malnutrition. When, when we were young, the idea of there being a seven foot tall Chinese person would have seemed like the craziest thing you ever heard, but and now they're the world's most famous Chinese person. Yeah, is seven feet tall, <laughs> right? But so many very tall Chinese now, uh, and that's I think it's you're exactly right. It's a combination of macaroni and cheese and tab availability. And there's a cultural variation in heights. I guess you know we're, we we are uh, Serbs are tall, Ethiopians are tall. A lot of it is is cultural. Like by if you go by nationality, I think the Dutch are the tallest on earth. The, the average Dutch man, but still, it's not superheroes. The average Dutch man is is five ten. Oh, but that's that. But, yeah, that means Sudanese are tall. Yeah, so the world's tallest people were really taking it on the chin in the nineties. I mean, the Sudanese civil war between the southern tribes and the Arab majority in the north resulted in you know the, the lost boys of the Sudan, these war orphans that kind of uh, had a diaspora all over the world. That's the thing. They take it on the chin because that's as high up as their enemies can reach. (laughs) You can't even reach their chin. They like take it on the sternum. (laughs) Uh, 
And uh, so, and this kind of uh, variation between races, both for genetic and possibly behavioral nutritional reasons, must have been known to the ancients because the stories of other tribes, the other guy having giants, uh, are not uncommon. I always imagine that that was related somewhat to the Neanderthals living amongst the Homo sapiens. Yeah, maybe. It's it's race memory that goes way back. Right. But then it would have been the tall, dumb neighbors. Hey, as someone with slightly more Neanderthal DNA than your average person. <laughs> Is that true? Have you done the test? Yeah. Well, my mom has. Uh, we're, 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 we're old North. Would you say you are the world's leading Neanderthal podcaster? Huh? Interesting. Maybe the only self-identified, uh, Neanderthal, but I don't, I don't want to get into this whole, like uh, Elizabeth Warren fractional <laughs> Neanderthal are you, thing. Are you 164th? <laughs> Cherokee. What if Mark Maron was like a Neanderthal, uh, sad today, cat's good. <laughs> He seems cats play on couch. No, he seems more of a bonobo. <laughs> uh, and and it, it leads up to you know biblical stories of you know the giants from the book of Genesis and the Philistines have Goliath. You know, it's a good. It's it must be very memorable when you see a a tall person, particularly a tall outsider. You might think, well, they they're all like this, right? They, they just breed them like this over in Gath. Well, th- certainly thinking about um, what what people in uh, pre-modern or or medieval times, sp- especially people that work at medieval times, uh, <laughs> they're often very tall. What your idea of race was like? You, maybe if you lived in Rome, you had some exposure to uh, to people from Africa, but probably if you lived in uh, Glasgow, you didn't. So if you saw someone that was tall, you might think that they were a member of a different race of people. People were certainly very credulous about what the possibilities of human anatomy could hold. I mean, when you if you read Pliny, for example, he, he's always just Which talking, as you, as you often do. He'll sure. often be like, and as we know, the men of Carthage have feathers. And perhaps in Nubia, you will see... The uh, the eight armed women with the fish gills uh, on their hips, you know, like that was an uncanny Pliny uh, impression. He talked. He yes. talked. I think it might go a little something like this. Really astonishing. <laughs> and now the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, why is Pliny Paul Harvey? <laughs> but you know how today, you know, today we have a very fixed idea of you know these kind. This is what human variation looks like. Right. And in you know, eye color, uh, nose size, all these things were just monocultures back then, and they had no sense of what that spectrum might be like, and that extended into the early modern era of uh, you know new frontiers were still frontiers mm-hmm. were still being <laughs> discovered and crossed, and there was really the suspicion and and you know informed by kind of the usual kind of xenophobia, I assume, that we're going to find some real weirdos out there. Well, even in our own lifetimes, I mean, I remember being fascinated by the pygmies and imagining uh, uh, imagining what it would be like to live in a pygmy culture. Nothing against National Geographic, but they really traded on this with their, uh, you know, African women with the neck extending uh, collars and, yep. you know, mid-century uh, American kids loved that stuff. Oh sure, the plates in the lips and the and the uh, 
the blue men inuit people with weird pierced septums or whatever they do blue men exactly um and you know we can still appreciate the variety of it uh but people were pretty credulous about this especially in the you know as late as the 16th century 16th 17th centuries where we lay our scene perhaps into the 18th uh in 1512 one of the most popular uh, books, a bestseller on the Iberian Peninsula, was a chivalric romance called Prima Leone, mm-hmm. which is not read anymore. But it's it's your kind of typical knight uh, having adventures to win Princess uh, Gr- Grisaldia. I can't remember mm-hmm. her name. Uh, first lion? Is that what the... the, the I guess. Yeah. Prima Leone. I guess Prima could be cousin. Cousin lion? Cousin, old it's, cousin lion. It's an anime. Uh, it's, uh, it was an influential book. Uh, Don Quixote is believed to have uh, been partially modeled off of Prima Leone by Cervantes. Um, Shakespeare's Caliban mm. is believed to be based on the monsters in the book because Prima Leone does fight monsters, including a savage kind of dog faced guy Hello. named, uh, uh, Patagon. Uh, Wait a minute. And, uh, this book has been almost forgotten, but, uh, one fan was Ferdinand Magellan. Hmm. who had apparently recently read the book when he began his attempted circumnavigation. Well, I don't know if he was attempting. He was trying to get to the Spice Islands of Asia and decided to come back the other way. So I guess that's a circumnavigation. Although, now, although he didn't make it. Was it, well, did the Amazons appear in like Jason and the Argonauts? What, what, what um, where did we first hear about the Amazon? Yeah, they appear in Greek mythology and, and clearly are treated by the early, by the ancients as a real tribe that exists somewhere right. and has to, you know, they're super tough. They're a matriarchal society. They're so good uh, with the bow and arrow that they, well, I was about to say they're so good they had to cut off a breast. But, you know, I, I feel like if you were really good, you could do archery with two breasts like, sure. like Gina Davis does. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, they had invisible lassos. Invisible airplanes. Right. Like uh, like Wonder Woman. So that, that, that's another example. Like it's another example of some, <laughs> of kind of a, a mysterious tribe that you know today we treat as a fairy tale characters, but to them would be on the map somewhere. And these people were literally drawn on maps. You know, maps of Africa would be drawn with Pliny's description of here's where the snake men live and here's where the dog women live, and as if it was a, an early issue of National Geographic. And how much of this was? Just uh, imagination, how much of it was co- co- conflated reports? Yeah, I'm going to say game of telephone. Yeah. Because so few people would have actually done the legwork, would have done the, the discovery, that you know they see a, a strange thing, and by the time they tell the story, and this is what we're going to see a case study of this in Patagonia, um, the story just keeps getting better and better. Sure, someone sees a gorilla, and by the time it, Pliny hears about it, it's a dog woman. The mountain gorilla was not known by science, to, in European science, to be a real species until the, what, the mid-19th century, I think. It was, it was treated as a, as a cryptid. Huh. Like, uh, and this is, of course, the case study you always hear from people who are hoping Bigfoot right, turns right. out to be real. Hey, mountain gorillas were fake for a while, too, until they weren't. <laughs> uh, but this is an early Bigfoot story on the, on the American continent. Uh, Magellan, as we know, will not complete his voyage around the Earth. Aww. Aww. His He gets credit for it. For yeah, some, he sure does. Except there was one chief in the Philippines who was not into 
giving them fruit and converting to Christianity and had his men kill Magellan. Yeah. It's, it, what, what it was was they carried Magellan's scarf around the world. <laughs> they had a big cardboard cutout <laughs> and they would come ashore and set it up in the life in the dinghy, put it on the beach, take a picture. It's like taking your garden gnome around. Uh, as Magellan, so he, but he's still alive at this point in 1520. On his way to uh, Asia, he stops off in South America. He decides to overwinter uh, on the eastern coast of South America, what is today San Julian? I've done it. Argentina. Have you have you wintered? In, I've overwintered there. I mean, it's it would be our summer. So Pretty be, nice. It was between March and August. Yeah. But he he and his crew spend several months there. Later, by the way, incidentally, three hundred years later, it's the same port where Darwin would find an important fossil that turned out to be a, a, a megafauna, a, an ancient kind of giant llama huh. thing of South America that helped him come up with his with his uh, theory of evolution. Interesting. So this is a hop and port. Uh, but what, during their stay there, uh, according to uh, Antonio Pigafetta, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Andy. Yeah, we'll call him uh, Andy Pigafetta. Tony. Yeah, Tony. Tony Pigafetta, <laughs> you wanted the pizza pie. Uh, he reports later on Darwin's trip that uh, the crew saw uh, on the beach, as they observed from the water, uh, a very tall, naked giant singing and dancing and pouring sand on his himself. It was me. <laughs> was is that what you do in South America? <laughs> I, I was pouring. Uh, I was pouring coins on my head. He just mistook it for sand. Do you know what I really enjoy, John? What do you enjoy, Ken? I enjoy these addenda entries we've been recording. Yeah, we just for got the done. Omnibus. We just got done doing an addenda, and it really. Um, they really stand on their own. It's fun because we have managed to have create this group of thousands of people who just do the work for us. Mm-hmm. They and all have uh, they all have things they want to add to they our all shows. Have fun, interesting expertise and stories, and they you know you want to talk back to the podcast, right. and of course you can, or you'll look like an idiot on the train. But now they can. They're they're suggesting their own material, and in the addenda episode, we can we can share those to a to an audience in this time period and beyond. Sometimes we argue with them, but most of the time their additions are relevant and and quite interesting. And we're certainly respectful. That's right. Well, yeah, mostly. Mostly. Uh, but we, but they they lead us to sometimes go uh, go off on a different aspect of an episode we've done. Yeah, they're they're kind of freewheeling in a way that, you know, with omnibus we're usually trying to get back to the story because we're trying to you know, finish educating the future on whatever happened to this uh, French foreign minister or whatever. And here uh, we can just say whatever and we can just start randomly Googling facts. You were, you wanted to know how long a $5 bill lasted. So we looked it up. Five years. 4.9 years or something. Uh, Uh, But these are available only to people who subscribe to our Patreon, which involves some sort of contribution to the production of the show. Yes, we have multiple tiers, and at any tier from $5 up, which would be all the tiers, uh, you get immediate access at the end of every month to a new addenda episode, some of which are like getting up to an hour in length. That's right. How long was that last one? Was it close uh, to an hour? Yeah, it was uh, 50 minutes, I think, uh, worth of us uh, going, going from episode to episode and kind of dealing with our viewer mail. So uh, a whole new, really a regular-sized bonus omnibus entry every month if you, uh, if you have the resources and, and choose to support the show. And at different uh, tiers of our Patreon, you're, there are other, you have other 
benefits, right? Uh, d- name some benefits at different tiers. Now, the $10 uh, tier, you get access to our, as well as the Addenda episode, you get access to our image feed where we post show notes, um, funny things people have sent us, you and I clowning around. Our show notes are hilarious. They're illegible. All uh, right. But let's not, let's not downplay how good they are since we do want people to donate. But there are tons of goofs. Uh, you know, right now I'm sitting here with the, um, with the Jeopardy trophy greatest of all time. It's sitting for some reason over here on my side of the desk. For some reason. And on top of it, it has a little statue of a Basque or Catalonian boy taking a poop. Now you're not going to know what that symbolizes, what that comes from, unless you're a su- subscriber. And this is a photograph that we'll post on our image. At the, at the $20 tier, you get a signed copy of one of our show notes. We are, I'm going to make you, I have brought a Sharpie and I'm going to make you sign those today. Oh, we're going to send them to people in the mail. Yes, we are sending them out worldwide. Wow, how exciting. For them. Yeah. Uh, well, and for you, if you like signing yeah, I things. I like signing things. Uh, for $50, these, That's these, a lot these, high, these high tiers are very uh, aspirational. Sure. They're, they're specific to people that, that have um, have a little bit more money to share. Well, and they're specific to people who like, you know, could just as easily hear the show for free, but enjoy the feeling of support and community, yeah, I guess. Right. At the $50 level, you get to choose a show topic oh. that goes to the top of our heap. And we just got our first... Uh, Request today from from Krista, who uh, has two ideas that she'd like us to do. I'm excited to hear them. And at the hundred dollar level, John and I will actually come to your house and do some chores. Yeah, that's right. We I will be a human Roomba. <laughs> we will uh, put me in a closet, and we will actually do a, a, a like a video chat. Yeah, at the hundred dollar level, that's a lot of money, though. It really, understand. I don't see I, on no level is that worth it. Again, it's just about the feeling of I don't know of support and community that people feel. A video chat with somebody, it's probably going to be MC Hammer's kids or somebody that we're going to talk to. Where would they get the money? Hundred. Oh, oof, ouch, MC Hammer burn. So all the early reports of this voyage, just take it as written, that they had discovered Indians of very brave bodies, like giants. That, Interesting. That South America was full of giants, and uh, you know not content to just bring word back to Europe. They actually lured, apparently, some of these giants to a nearby island, whereby they gave them food, delighting them, and then gave them a mirror, which scared them. Sure. And then gave them a mirror and a food, so their hands were full, and then they put shackles on their legs. Wow. So suddenly, slavery, and now it's not a fun story anymore. After they blew up the Death Star, did they give them a medal? <laughs> yeah, or not? It wasn't like the fake <laughs> Chewbacca fetters. Like, this was for real. So they captured them. Tossed them in the hold and hoped to take back these giants to Europe to show off. Uh, you know, for, and, they began, and they called the region. The, the, apparently, the men must have reminded Magellan or somebody on his crew of the, uh, the monster Patagon from this beloved romance of the time that all the crew must have been trading around. And so they named the land Patagonia. So, so they grabbed these, uh, these Patagons. Patagons of, of justice. And they, uh, and they threw them in the hold, but they were on their way around the world. So they weren't going to race them back to Europe. They were like, you're coming with us while we go to go now to the Philippines. Yeah, they're, you know, dance and throw sand on your head and entertain us. Uh, I mean, they're treating them as cargo. Sure. Which, you know, just kind of shows how how broadly our views of humanity have changed. You know, the like when you see a new kind of person, back then the impulse was, oh, thank goodness they're not Christians and all our rules of decorum do not apply. <laughs> let's, let's toss <laughs> these guys in the hold. Sure. 
Um, and so when accounts come, even though the, the uh, Indians die en route uh, and never make it back to Europe, the Magellan's crew carries back with it these stories of these giant South American men, and this becomes standard knowledge of what South America is like. It, it is called on maps Regio Gigantum, Kingdom of the Giants. So they they die and they throw them overboard. They don't even keep them. Yeah, they, why wouldn't you bring back the skeletons yeah, they're for, such a big for deal. science? Right. I guess nobody wants decomposing giants in their hold. We have to imagine, though, that uh, that because of the lack of tab and macaroni, macaroni and cheese in Portugal in uh in the 1500s, that Magellan was probably about four foot eight. Well, this is definitely an issue because as depictions of the Patagonians begin to appear on maps, they are depicted as literally twice the size of their European, quote, discoverers. So they're, they're just depicted as kind of giant savages with spears and bows and arrows and whatnot. So they all have beards. And then little tiny hobbit scale European sailors and conquistadors are pictured next to them. And this is what happens in, in Regio Gigantum. Uh, Europe is delighted by the wonders that uh, this new world affords. You know, it seems like a land of endless possibility where anything is possible, including giants like those from myth. Um, and over the following decades and even centuries, there are, it seems like at least a dozen more accounts of visitors to South America spotting these giant tribes. What now? And commenting on their... Uh, uh, on their 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 large feet, you know, it's kind of a Bigfoot style myth. And for a long time, the name Patagonia was thought to come from the Spanish word pata, meaning paw or foot or something. Uh, and we now believe that the origin comes from Prima Leon. So it may be that the word Patagonia itself kind of reinforced the idea that these were people with giant. Because Patagon does sound like a word for you know giant paw. I don't know what we would say there. You know, just a big old meaty hand or foot. So where were uh where were they more more most recently sighted? So all these uh are off the coast of the southern part of South America, what we would call Patagonia today, the southernmost provinces of what are today Argentina and Chile. And uh it's just expected, you know, that people will routinely come back and say, "Yeah, we saw men that are that are 13 spans tall, which would be 9 feet or even 14 or 15 spans tall." So 10 or 11 feet. These would be taller than Robert Wadlow, taller than any known human are, are that exists today. There, are there large swaths of Patagonia that are not explored? Are you hoping that to this day there are Patagonian giants hiding in the the foothills? I, I am hoping that. It's, as, a, it's a sparsely populated part of the world. As a cryptozoologist, I'm always hoping that there's a chupacabra that's going to come out of the bushes at some point. You, you're, uh, it's canon now that you're a cryptozoologist? <laughs> well, for the purposes of this show. You do have a Mothman uh, crystal right here on your, yes, I do. On your windowsill. I didn't buy it. Although I don't know if is. that was by choice, <laughs> and I think it probably scares your daughter. Um, so it becomes common in these stories to just receive knowledge that there's a bunch of tall men here and, and the accounts get bigger and bigger, like, Oh no, they're 10 feet. No, they're 11 feet. Uh, and in fact, uh, as the British and Fran French send out their various, did I say French? The, the French, the British, the British and French, the French on the frontier, uh -huh. as they send out their, uh, their expeditions, uh, and report eagerly back about these giants, the French begin to sniff that the British are just pretending to go giant hunting when really they're, they're, they have colonization and they're whaling. In mind. Well, they just want to stake out territorial claims to defeat the French. And they're just pretending to be interested 
scientists who right. who love a good giant. Typical. Uh, you know, who among us does not love a good South American giant? But who among us has not pretended to be a scientist in order to defeat the frogs? I mean, you just pretended to be a cryptozoologist <laughs> for, for no reason that I could ascertain at all. Um, but even while these reports are coming in, we start to get our first indications that maybe this has all just been a Pliny-like game of telephone. Yeah. Francis Drake visits South America in the early 17th century, and when his his nephew, uh, who I believe is Drake the Rapper, mm-hmm. writes up the, invest- the uh, expedition, he says, Magellan was not altogether deceived in naming these giants. Not altogether deceived. Yeah, that's that kind of talk. For they generally Francis differ from Drake. the common sort of man, both in stature, bigness, and strength of body, also in the hideousness of their voices. Well, this is new information. Hmm. But they are nothing so monstrous and giant-like as they were represented. There being some Englishmen as tall as the highest we could see. But peradventure, the Spaniards did not think that ever any Englishman would come hither to approve them, and therefore might presume the more boldly to lie. So, a little casual anti-Spanish racism there. Sure. So Drake is saying, uh, you know, now they're, some of these guys are burly, but he's kind of adjusting expectations downward. Right. He didn't, like, immediately take five of them back to rugby and start a new team. Although I guess that's probably before the invention of rugby. And this continues to happen as more and more, uh, you know, as, as the Southern tip of South America becomes more and more explored, uh, more reports come back saying, well, actually they're, you know, they're pretty normal size. Well, actually they're only about six feet. And as you point out, these poorly nourished, European sailors, explorers, right. sailors of the time, were probably all around five feet. So are these the Tehuelche people? Yes. Today, uh, the Patagonian giants kind of mysteriously spotted by Magellan et al., who later apparently disappeared from the record, are identified with the Tehuelche, um, an indigenous people in Argentina today. There are... Um, about 28,000 Tehuelche people, people who identify, indigenous people who identify as Tehuelche How tall are in they? Argentina today. They are a tallish people. Hmm. Um, there is something called Bergman's Law, a, a, a Bergman's Rule, kind of a general law of anatomy that says in cold climates, um, you know, a big body has more, uh, what, mass compared to surface area. And therefore, is better able to hold on to heat. Huh. So, in extreme climates, you know, evolution often rewards the the husky gentleman. Well, that explains why the Dutch are so tall. <laughs> it's so chilly. Yeah. Well, also it explains polar bears. You know, the world's largest land mammal lives in cold climates. Right. Also, so, the polar bat is the largest bat. <laughs> it does, yes, as we all know, it does not explain the dinka or tutsi. Now that I think about it, Bergman's rule apparently fails in. Sub-Saharan Africa. Maybe it's also true of the hottest climate. It's weather extremes that produce tall people. So now, so the 12 people are are big and maybe bigger than your average uh, would-be conquistador. Right. And the, you know, 12 have had kind of a sad history since then, like a lot of indigenous peoples. They were, you know, the Argentines put them on reservations and so forth, and their, their language is not commonly spoken now. Um, is it a mountainous territory? Yeah, there. Yeah, it's the, it's the foothills of the Andes, uh, you know, and, and in Patagonia does 
you know, include the southern tip of Argentina does include a very mountainous territory. But as early as 1767, plenty of people were doing measurements on the Tehuelche people. And according to Samuel Wallace in 1767, some of them were very tall. You know, there was uh, there was one that was six foot seven, but he appears to have done a large study and most of them were between five and six feet. He also mentions that their feet are remarkably small, Weird. which means the other ones, the other big-footed examples must have just been wearing big guanaco skin boots. Maybe the maybe it was part of the now forgotten uh tribal custom that they always send the tallest guy out to meet a new arrival. Or maybe he was the outcast, you know. He's uh he was just he, sitting there he's, like he's on the beach pouring sand on his head cuz <laughs> he was staring at the sea going, "No one loves me." Everybody else has a real job. By the time Captain Fitzroy and the Beagle and Charles Darwin arrive, you know, the measurements are down to 5 foot 9 or 10. So Again, tall by European mm-hmm. standards of, mm-hmm. of olden times, but uh, very disappointing to anyone who was hoping that South America was full of these 10, 11 foot tall giants. Now, there's another possibility, though. You mentioned a hope that perhaps there actually were chupacabras. Yeah, there was a super tall race of. South Americans, right? That uh, I'm still holding out hope that they're that the first explorers found, but were not there. They gradually disappeared over the next hundred years. There is a an American account from a man named Ned Chase who lived in South America around the turn of the 20th century, who had heard of contemporary accounts of a, another tribe different from the Tuelches, who who didn't get along with them, who hated them, and were much much. Larger. Oh, um, they used stone tip arrows, and uh, you know th- they did not use the kind of the the bolo that you could use on a horse. They were they were pedestrians apparently. Uh-huh. Um, but he had heard tales that uh, you know this was a race that had been hunted. Uh, you know enemies of the Tuelches who had been hunted down. The whole tribe, the last of the tribe, had been caught by some Tuelches in a cave near Gallegos and smoked to death there. Ooh. So. In this account, there's another there's another possibility, which is that the Patagonian giants were a real people, and they just got sparser and sparser. So European visitors started seeing fewer of them and more of the normal-sized Tehuelches until they were gone altogether. Is there any archaeological record of the the missing super tall Patagonians? No, there are tales. You know, there's there's folklore there of uh, you know. Gaucho saying that they've seen, you know, valleys full of giant bones, you know, men with right. colossal skeletons. It seems straight out of of uh, Genesis. So there is an oral tradition of sites where, you know, the, the caves where the tall giants made their last stand. Um, so if you believe in them, and maybe they're still out there, you know, I'm sure there's, if you were a very tall Patagonian, Maybe you would head for the mountains like Jeremiah Johnson and live a live a rugged, solitary life there. You're certainly physically well equipped for it. I mean, it depends. I guess if your neighbors are trying to kill you and smoke you, um, but all they would have to do is like get exposed to any media at any point and realize that they had uh, that their height conveyed an intrinsic value that they could they could end up 
you know, on an all-star team. There's really a moral to that story. The Tewelches just made them feel bad about themselves. And so they're all hunched down like Sean Nelson. They just needed to go to your doctor and, and, uh, and hear about posture and they'd still be alive today. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about, think about, um, how it is that the big ones, the Neanderthals even, they get out competed by the little ones. Because they're dumber. I hate to I feel like this I hate all to keep the time. This. I'm I'm constantly being out competed by the littler ones. Is it because they're well have you ever been at a buffet table with kids? Ugh. They'll just duck at they don't observe the line. They'll just duck ahead of you and grab a handful of uh, hummus and run off. They get their heads under the sneeze shields. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and then we end up dying of disease. You need a different ecological niche. You need to be like the giraffe of the salad bar, eating right. the delicious leaves from the from the acacia canopy. Well, if the little ones weren't just so good at climbing. And that concludes Patagonian Giants, entry 907.MT0627, certificate number 33392 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our show are archived at at Omnibus Project. You notice that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram do not accentuate stature in their in the way that they profile users. You think they should list people by height, or well, if you if you look at if you watch people across a broad spectrum on uh, Instagram, you're not conscious of who's tall and who's not tall. I don't even notice it in movies, right? Facebook, Twitter, I mean, people are like, people are like Stallone's 5'6", and I get so angry. No, he's not, but, but he like, is. If you meet someone in person, the first thing you register is their size. Absolutely. And yet, uh, within the social media world, size is completely uh, a, a non-factor. Do you feel like this is a new utopia that makes everyone the same height, Bernie's Bernie plan style, or, or do you think Facebook should give you a heads up? Hey, uh, you need to know. Well, it's just He's interesting very short. when you imagine a sort of world in which avatars are are, uh, are the way we interact with one another. I wonder, like when you see movies like uh, like Ready Player One, you know, there's always a character that's really big. Mm-hmm. And a and a character that's like a raccoon that's been robot augmented. Yeah, how's that going to work in the heads up display if you've made yourself into a giant robot and then you walk into the grocery store? Like what? Right. How, you're just how, gonna. How's that robot getting into the grocery store? I don't know how that's going to work, right? If you're just normal size and you made yourself into a giant blue a naked man. If you make yourself seven feet tall, people are always just going to be looking at the at the space above you where your head appears, which is and that's be strange. That's fine, but they're they're gonna. They're going to think you're going to hit your head on, bang your head on an awning. Yeah, or right. You're always going to be looking up their noses. I wonder about that. I wonder whether I wonder whether avatarism will equalize size, or whether we'll just naturally pick an avatar that is the same size that we are. You could probably get some kind of armature that will approximate the size you want to be. If you want to be smaller, you're going to have to amputate. Well, you'll just have to carry your your goggles around your neck on a gold chain, <laughs> <laughs> or or wear them on a very on the top of a very tall hat. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I wonder if, um, and I wonder if the we end are, of height, the this, end of height this is going to be your book. I wonder if we are headed toward a kind of, as we, as like races begin to disappear with, with just the cross pollinization of, 
of the future, whether also height will equalize. Um, well, because it's so informed by economic factors, it would probably be good news if it did. Everyone has meant- access to tab and macaroni and cheese, the two great nu- nutritional uh conveyors i just watched kramer versus kramer and dustin Hoffman drinks four cans of tab in that movie and he's very short yes he is short so i i think the cyclamates must be stunting your growth i don't think tab is actually the miracle drug you're you're painting it as dustin hoffman didn't get access to tab until he was already an adult it was too late for him you need to drink tab as a child Uh, you can uh you can enjoy ken's twitter witticisms at ken jennings Witticisms. Uh, I am on there also at John Roderick. <laughs> just just ma- making no claims for your own. <laughs> just laboring, just laboring along. That's uh, not true. Your uh, your feet is a delight. Oh, that's sweet of you. You were, you got very angry at people who are not into banana bread, and I believe that's the correct take. Yeah, I mean, if you're like, I don't think banana bread is good. You can just take leave, sir. I feel like once we have the avatars, like hot food takes should just result in death. Well, now I do a lot of hot food takes. Are yours correct or are you there? Are they They're right correct. or wrong? Like for instance, potatoes are garbage. Uh, that's not correct. I heard I heard brunch is bad. Oh, brunch from is a good. prominent Twitterian and a prominent gay American Twitterian who was anti-brunch. Huh? He's gonna be. It's got. That's got to be reactionary. He's got to be reacting against brunch being categorized as a gay meal. He's gonna be put in stocks by his people. Uh, you can go to my Instagram account and see all of the fun, 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 super curated things I do on Instagram that make it seem like I don't spend nine hours a day sitting alone in my room in staring a at a spot on the wall. Uh, you can email us, and please do, at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Um, our Facebook and uh, Patreon groups are uh, the Futurelings, and people are having a variety of good, good experiences over there masquerading as very tall Patagonians. Uh, you can mail us actual things, physical things, at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I'm looking at some mail right now, by the way. Oh, what do you got there? Somebody who teaches a community college class on television game shows hmm. and wants me to call in. The decline of American education right there. <laughs> that was my major, John. <laughs> he wants me to call in at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Any am- day. Friday, 9 a.m. But can you imagine getting calling, uh, getting on the phone at 6 a.m. to talk about Press Your Luck? With his class? With his class. So they'd just be sitting in there, and he'd be lecturing them on, on uh, the $10,000 pyramid. And then the phone rings. He's like, hang on. I've got to get this. What teacher answers the phone in the middle of class? Well, if you know it's me. Well, how would he know it was you? You're can just you, going to call him randomly. Can you imagine at the end of this class, it's like, you know, like the movie scene of the of the, the kids pick up their books and the teacher's like, remember, tomorrow, uh, you know, 30% of your grade is going to come from our test on classic concentration. Uh, our friend Dawn also sent us this, uh, the two envelope trivia game. Oh, would, she likes this. Would you like to play? I guess so. I don't know which of these I has the money see, in it. I, well, I won once and lost once, right? You have, I think, yeah. And, and you, when you won, it was because I lost. Yeah, I got a well, question wrong. That's how it wrong. should always be. All right. So, oh, I, the, in, I, the, in this one, you have to answer correctly. I have a card with a bear and a deer. And uh, there's a blue piece of paper. I'm unfolding it here. Jeopardy clue number five eating contests for $5. Eating contests? Eating contests. I bet this guy teaches an eating contest class as well. This is, and look, my, mine well, this is. This is Dawn, right? 
This, mine is the uh, well. Oh, well, no, I'm just I'm just thinking that my friend Jerry maybe oh, also Jerry, yeah. teaches a community college philosophy contest. I have the five dollar prize right, right here. This bizarre annual event held in Marshwood, England, attracts spectators and contestants from Australia, Canada, and more, leaving its contestants with purple, black, and sometimes blistered tongues. It's an eating contest. Yes. What would you What would you eat? I have the answer right here, so I already know it. What would you eat to give you a blistered purple tongue? In, in Marshwood, England. You have 30 seconds, contestants. Good what luck. are nettles? That is correct. Hey! What is the world stinging nettle competition? Yay, I get it. Five you, bucks. You just won five dollars, you know, five American dollars. People think that you're the trivia master of this show. But they, they, they don't realize that you are the trivia master. No, it's because they've never talked to you about stinging nettle eating. I have, I, have, I have some skills. And realizing the depth of your stinging nettle knowledge. I was at a party uh, with Ken the other day, and I said, yeah, people think that I should be on Jeopardy. And Ken said, ha, that's like people suggesting that I play guitar in a band. <laughs> I was shamed. <laughs> Slunk out of the room. I guess I should have said, "Who are these people? Let's let's get these people up here. Let's get to who, talk, are, who these people, these are. mythical people who are always." I feel like you are a, a strong Jeopardy, a potentially strong Jeopardy player. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think I have the gift. Do you think you're maybe in your prime? Do you feel like you're too old? You've no, I, I, I'm. A, I, I think I would choke. I think I would. I think my brain would freeze. You didn't just there. You just had a few seconds to come up with the world singing medal championship, and you nailed it. Uh, well. If you want to see me uh, on Jeopardy, you're going to have to pony up, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Wait, they're going to have to pay. We need to put my whole. We need to get a uniform together. We need to get a trainer. This is a Kickstarter. You need to send me to the to the show. They don't, uh, you can't just show up and play. Yeah, right. You have to like. You have it's to, not like the. It's like the Boston Marathon. You got to win a local Jeopardy first. You have to go out to uh, to Russia and train in the on the Taiga. That's exactly right. I have the Taiga. Uh, please, if you enjoy the show, uh, consider contributing to its production at patreon.com slash omnibus project. We greatly appreciate your, uh, your support of the show on Patreon. It is the reason the show still exists at this point. It is. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Perhaps we'll all wander into the mountains like the myth- mythical giants of Patagonia and be lost forever and possibly conflated with another lesser tribe. But we hope and pray that that catastrophe may never come. If it comes soon, this recording on the time capsule, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you, in which case you should spend that $5 quickly, John. I will. But if providence allows... Providence allows. We hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.